Thank you for the dance. Our family theme this morning is Jesus is our healer. Our objective is that we would live and pray with faith, <clears throat> believing that Jesus can do anything uh, that's needed, but it's got to be according to his will. We'll be in Matthew chapter 9 this morning, the first eight verses, and then we'll skip the middle part where he calls Matthew as one of the disciples, and we'll pick it up in verse 18 through verse 34. Two key truths. Number one, uh, he has the power and authority to heal us physically and spiritually. Number two, he has the power to do the impossible when it aligns with his will. Jason, do we have a video? John, why don't we experience the miracles that the apostles are capable of? Well, some people do. Um, the assumption is, why don't we see it, I guess, regularly, as often as we'd like, or as often as they did? And that's true. I think that's true. I think that's true globally. But the reason I say, boy, I don't want to go there right away, because I would guess that around the world, in God's total working, especially in, <coughs> excuse me, especially in cutting edge mission uh, settings, more amazing supernatural things are happening than we realize. So that, that's my first qualification. Um, I, I think the more biblical theological answer is when uh, Jesus Christ came into the world, uh, he was the Son of God and he was able to do things that were supposed to distinctively point to his deity. So there was a, an un amazing power in Jesus who never failed. He spoke and it happened. He didn't fumble around with long prayers. He just said, get up, and they got up. Nobody ever refused to get up when he said, get up. When he spoke to the dead, rise, they rose. So Jesus was unique. And then around him was a cluster of of, of a Apostles and the 70, uh, and then a few more. And this, this intense breaking in of the kingdom and showing itself with these stunning, uh, infallible miracles was shared by these men. But I don't think in quite the same way that, that he had it. And then as you move out from there, I think it, it lessens. And, and I don't, I don't think we should be faulted entirely for this. That uh, since we don't see people healed when they walk through our shadow on the street, we should feel like failures. Like if I really had faith, then they could touch my handkerchief and they could um, walk through my shadow and they would be healed. I, I don't think we should feel like a failure because I don't think God has ordained that the same intensity and clustering of power for supernatural intervention was intended to be normative for the whole church. It can break out anytime he pleases in order to demonstrate his power. And so revival has often brought that kind of demonstration but I think already you see in the New Testament of evidences that on the periphery out here, it's beginning to be less. Take a little wine for your stomach, Timothy, because uh, you've got this stomach problem. Instead of saying, bang, I've got enough faith, I'm healing Timothy. Well, why, why not? And Paul himself, I think, suffering many kinds of things that 
weren't miraculously healed. When he was lacerated on his back or stoned, they didn't get over him and just pray and bang, all the scars went away and all the infection went away. He, he dealt with the same things we did. So my, my answer is they are happening today around the world in some measure. They can happen more when God is pleased to pour out his spirit. And the reason it's not as normative now as it was in the apostles is because he meant to signify this point in history, this incarnation, this authoritative band of apostles are unique. Thank you, Jason. Our topic this morning is healing. And, uh, Listen to John Piper. I thought his explanation was really good. As we think about miracles in the Scripture, uh, there are only three different periods you see miracles in a cluster. The time of Moses, the time of Elijah and Elisha, and the New Testament. And so, uh, why do they call a miracle a miracle? You watch, Cheryl? Okay, it comes from God. And if it happened all the time, it wouldn't be a miracle anymore. It'd be a normal, right? And so a uh, miracle does come from God. Now, also understand what, what John Piper was saying. It's certainly true. As you study the Scriptures, we see examples there. And uh, I'm just reading in my daily Bible reading a week or so ago uh, in Matthew and Mark, and now in the book of Acts, there was a, you know, even a time uh, for a little while even when they passed through the shadow of one of the apostles, they were healed. Now, again, there was a specific reason for that. Uh, the apostles were bringing about a brand new message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ had come, uh, the Messiah had come, and not just for Jews, but for who? For everyone. The apostle Paul was sent primarily to the Gentiles. Uh, Peter would go primarily to the Jews. Uh, but the bottom line is, God used these miracles to authenticate who they were. And so, as you go through the New Testament and into the book of Acts, you'll find these miracles are less, less, and less. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, had that power, if you will, uh, but it came from who? It came from God. In fact, on one occasion, uh, at Lystra and Derby, uh, when they saw what Paul had done, uh, they said, oh, wait a minute, you must be a god. And they began to almost fall down to worship him. And Paul said, no, don't do that. We're just men like you are. But as you move farther in the New Testament and through the book of Acts, you'll find less and less of these miracles going on because that time is passing. Now, can God still do miracles? Sure. And guess when he does them? Thank you. When he wants to, when it's according to his will. Any comment or question about that before we go into our lesson today? Any comment or question? So, again, we serve a God who can do the miraculous. We serve a God who can do the impossible. And so here in chapter 9, uh, we're going to see three, four, five different examples that shows the power and the authority that Jesus had. Now, also remember, uh, you know, we, we, you and I, we are uh, students of the Scripture. We know the many things that Jesus did. But my question is, even with all the miracles he did, does that mean everybody who saw him believed in him? No, absolutely not. And it came to the point, he said, look, 
If you don't believe my words, at least believe the works that I do. And here's what's interesting, folks. We're going to find out today that we live in a world that was true then, is true now. You can hit people with the facts, and guess what? They're going to deny it. They're going to find a way to deny it. So today we're going to look at the fact that Jesus Christ is our healer. Now, by the way, can Jesus heal? Absolutely. And he heals according to his will, his timetable, and his choice. And he knows what's best for us. So we're talking about belief today, uh, I guess uh, specifically about faith. And we're going to find that it's it's one of the key elements in all of these stories that we are going to read today. So Christ is going through the region. He's proclaiming the gospel. And he's been uh, healing people from all kinds of diseases. And and like uh, Dr. John Piper said, when Jesus wanted to heal somebody, did he pray a long prayer? No. What did he say? Get up and walk. What did he tell Lazarus? Come forth. And what happened? He came forth. So understand the authority and power that he had. So we'll talk more about that as we go through uh, today's lesson. So first key truth in Matthew chapter 9, the first eight verses, we're going to find out that Jesus has the power and the authority not only to hear us, heal us physically, but also to heal us spiritually. Let's read the first eight verses, Matthew chapter 9. Thank you, Dan. What do you find intriguing in this story? Anything kind of get your attention? Say it again. Okay. That's true. Okay. They bring a man who's paralyzed. Now, by the way, this is recorded in two other Gospels as well. And Matthew has a different purpose, so he doesn't give all the details. But evidently, Christ was in some kind of a building, a house possibly. uh, And there were large crowds gathered around. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, People heard uh, he come back to his own city. Uh, That would have been, of course, Capernaum. And word got out that Christ is back in town. And guess what? People came. 
from all around. Those who needed healing. And this guy can't walk. He has two friends who are carrying him on a stretcher. And Mark and Luke tell us the crowd was so big, there was no way they could come through the door. So what did they do? They cut a hole in the roof. And they let him down in the presence of Jesus. What does that tell you about those men? They had faith. They had faith. And so my question would be, in light of the circumstances, what was going to stop them from seeing Jesus? Nothing. No obstacle was going to keep them from bringing their friend to Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Jesus saw their faith. He recognized it. Now, I want to interject here because it's important to understand. Evidently, these men had great faith. But because we don't get healing doesn't always mean that our faith is weak. In Mark chapter 9, there's a father with a boy who's been demon-possessed since his youth. The disciples were not able to cast out that demon. Christ is frustrated. And he says to the father, bring him to me. Bring him to me. And the dad said, if you can. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? Is that the question? Why is that the wrong question to ask? If you can. Yeah, he can. There's no, that, that is never in the question. And Jesus, what do you mean if I can? If you can believe all things are possible. And that dad being honest, his heart was breaking. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Wow. So his faith wasn't as great as he wanted it to be, but guess what Jesus did? He healed his son. Now, in this case, of course, their faith is great. Jesus recognized that. Now, again, why did they bring that man? Cured of what? Yeah. He was paralyzed. And so Jesus, when he sees their faith, he says to that man on the stretcher, cheer up. Your sins are forgiven. Wow. Is that why he came? No. Your sins are forgiven. Pam, you mentioned the scribes, the Pharisees there. What was their reaction? Yeah. This guy's committing blasphemy here. Now, now here's what's interesting, okay? And these scribes would be the 
lawyers of the, not lawyers like we have today, but they were the ones that would interpret the law, uh, interpret the scriptures, if you will. And they said, made a great statement here, only God can forgive sins. Now, sometimes you say what you don't really realize you're saying. Only God can forgive sins, so what? Huh? That's, that's what they thought. But who was he? He is God, right? Yeah. This guy's black. Only God can forgive sins. Now, if I understand Mark and Luke's account, Matthew's account of this story, and Matthew says so, they didn't say it out loud. They're thinking it, right? That's their thoughts. And what did Jesus know? He knew their thoughts. And so he has a question for them. Which is easiest to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say get up and walk? Now, I hope you know by now that probably about 99.9% of what you see on TV, uh, healers, is a sham. Okay, I'm just telling you the truth, all right? Uh, we'll talk more about what they're doing is not biblical to begin with, but anyway. If I were going to say here this morning, God just told me that somebody here today has got a sore back. Who are you laughing about, Alan? At, no, I'm prophesying. Well, you know it's going to at least one person here. I'd be one. I'd be in line, right? Okay. So Jesus said, wait a minute. Which is easier? For me to say your sins be forgiven or get up and walk? What do you think? Say what? Okay. You like it? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. He told that young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, we know he's Christ. We know he's God. And if he says your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. But could the scribes prove that part? Could the crowd prove that part? No. They were simply saying that's what he said. He said, this man's sins are forgiven. Now, it offended the scribes, certainly, because they knew that only God could forgive sins. They didn't know it was God standing there, God in the flesh. So, if, And by the way, if he's not God, and they thought he wasn't God, it would be blasphemy. But because he is God, it's not blasphemy. But still yet, you can't see that part. But if you tell that man to get up and walk, guess what? You can see it. It validates or invalidates either way, okay? And so when Jesus told that man to get up and walk, what happened? He got up 
and he walked. They carried him in, and what happened? He walked home. Wow. Now, we have to understand something, okay? And we mentioned this a few weeks ago as we took other things. First of all, in Matthew's Gospel, and, and you're going to find that sometimes the chronology are not the same in the Gospels because they all had different points. And Matthew is writing to Jewish people primarily. And uh, he's setting out to show in, in a thematic uh thematic uh, themes, if you will, not necessarily in chronology, to show the authority of Christ. And we find out so far he's, he's had authority over death. He has authority over nature. We talked about that when he calmed the seas. Uh, he spoke with authority. They never saw a man speak like that man spoke. And now he's saying, I have authority over sin. And we have to understand something, folks. Our greatest need is spiritual. We need to realize that. And whether this man here, who he heals, or any of the people that Jesus healed, they all would die. Death would take them. But my friend, when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, That was the greatest need this man had. And the sad thing is, he didn't realize it. This man didn't know it. But now his sins are forgiven. I have a question for you. Do you think this man's sins were forgiven? Why? God said they were. Your sins be forgiven. In the book of Acts, Peter and John are going to the temple in the hour of prayer. And there was a man there at the gate called Beautiful. And somebody carried him there. And he was there just asking for money. Peter and John walking in with the crowd, whoever was there. They look at that man. And he realizes he's got their attention. And what's he wanting? Some money. And Peter looks at him and he says, I don't have any silver or gold. But I can give you what I do have. And he healed that man. Now understand, folks, that's the power of God at work. And our God does heal. And he can heal today. And again, the question is never, can he? The question is, are we praying according to his will? And I have no doubt, even this morning, with us who are gathered here today, we have a variety of needs. Physical needs, emotional needs, but the greatest need we ever had is the healing of our 
relationship with God. Yes, there. The greatest miracle, the greatest of all miracles, is when a man or a woman is regenerated by the power of God, being born again. Now, by the way, thank God for doctors, okay? I don't like them. I mean, I wasn't sick till they, I went to see the doctor that day. And I told my doctor the other day, I, I said, well, I, I don't like coming to see you. I said, because you tell me I'm fat. She said, I never said that. I said, I know, but you were thinking it. But thank God that we have the doctors. And doctors can help with the healing process. And, and by the way, don't refuse to go to your doctor if you're sick. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But my friend, only Jesus can heal our spiritual needs. Only Christ can do that. So our application now, that we would demonstrate strong faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to trust in Christ alone to have right standing with God. Because there's only one way to God, and who is that? Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. Let me ask, uh, let's do a couple questions here. What, what are some circumstances that can cause our faith to be shaken or be weak? What are some circumstances that cause our faith to be shaken or weak? Okay, why do you say that, Dan? Yeah, okay. Okay, that's good. Somebody else? Somebody else? Remember, we were first saved, and Pam, you remember, uh, <clears throat> her name was Lola Smith, and she had cancer. And uh, Charlie, you probably remember her too as well, the Smith. And, uh, man, she believed. She trusted God. And I was new in, in, in Christ. I hadn't got to the point in my life where I doubted him yet, okay? So I believed. I mean, I really believed. And she died. And it really shook my faith. But then I realized it's not always... And by the way, now hold on. She died, but she was healed. I didn't realize that until later on. And sometimes that's the healing God brings. But it does shake our faith. Um, You know, because most of us, if you're like normal people, most of us are, I guess, we want to fix it, don't we? Whatever it is. And sometimes we realize, hey, you know, we just can't fix this. Question number two, how can we demonstrate strong faith in Christ? How can we do that? How can we demonstrate strong faith in Christ? Don't give up, yes. Yes, somebody else said something. Yes. And here's the thing, folks, and a lesson I'm still learning. No matter how it turns out, continue to believe in Christ. Remember the three Hebrew children? I know you do. The king said, look, if you don't bow, you're going to burn. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know, King, you got it backwards. If we vow, we will burn. And I love this statement. Now, King, we know. We know that our God is able to deliver it out of your hand. But King, write this down. They didn't say write it down, but they meant it. Even if he doesn't deliver us, guess what? He's still our God. That has to be our mindset. That's how we demonstrate strong faith. Any comment on it? Any question? All right, key point number two. Christ has the power to do the impossible when it aligns with his will. Somebody want to volunteer to read verses 18 through 34. Wow. Now think about this. Thank you, Alan, for reading that. Now the intervening verse between verse 8 to verse 17 is when Jesus uh, called Matthew, the tax collector, to be one of the disciples. He's eating with sinners. And of course, they didn't like that either. But nonetheless, why he was telling the Pharisees that he didn't come for the, uh, to heal those that didn't need healing. He came for those who needed healing. Well, while that was going on, there was a ruler from the synagogue came. And his daughter's dying. What's he want? They want Jesus to heal. Now again, <clears throat> we tied the gospels together. Evidently when he left home, she was still living, but as good as dead. And evidently, as he was traveling, word got to him, your daughter is dead. But it's kind of interesting, if you're the dad and 
you go get it, Jesus, and you want to take it to your house, uh, you want to dilly-dally around? No. Alan, you just read the story. While he's going, there's a lady with an issue of blood. <clears throat> now, again, Matthew doesn't give every detail, but we learn from the other Gospels. There was an immense crowd. And Jesus asked a question, who touched me? What did Peter say? Lord, what are you talking about? There's a multitude of people, and you're asking us who touched you? <laughs> you mean Jesus, Jesus didn't know? He knew. His point was, she touched him with faith. The Bible said she spent all she had on doctors. And uh, the breathing never stopped. For 12 years. And under the law, you were ceremony unclean. You couldn't touch anything. You couldn't go to worship. Anything you touched became unclean. Twelve years she dealt with that. But she said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Is that faith? Yeah. Well, by this time, and Matthew doesn't give the fellow's name. His name is Jairus. Jairus' daughter has died. They reach his home, and already the professional mourners are there. And that was the norm for the day. You hired people to do that. And they were making a, a mourning noise. And Jesus said, you, you need to get out of the way here because she's not dead. She's just sleeping. What was their reaction? They laughed at him. Yeah, exactly. Now, of course, he was speaking that, you know, as far as Jesus is concerned, he, she was sleeping. She had died. So Jesus started praying this real long prayer. No. What did he do? He took her by the hand. He did what? Get up. And what happened? She got up. Wow. Okay, this Jairus' daughter is raised. The woman with the issue of blood is healed. And now, <laughs> that news is spreading. And he's leaving town, uh, going out Capernaum there. And there's two men who are following him. They're crying out what? Yeah, we're blind. Now, if it's the same two guys, another gospel writer says that the crowd said, just be quiet. And they just yelled louder. Have mercy on us. He goes to a house, somebody's house, and the blind man is still father come to him. And Jesus, do you believe I can do this? Do you really think I can heal you? What they say? Yes, Lord. So Jesus said, as strong as your faith is, let it be according to your faith. And he healed him. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody about it now. So what did they do? They went and told 
everyone. Raised up this guy's daughter, Jairus' daughter. Healed the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. Healed two blind men. <laughs> and it comes along and there's a man who's not able to speak. He's demon-possessed. And Jesus went into another long prayer. Now, he told that demon to leave him. Guess what happened? He left. So we got all of these facts. All of these miracles that Jesus did before their very eyes. And one crowd said, you know what? This is amazing. We have never seen this happen in Israel. And they realized this is not just a man. But there's the other crowd, the Pharisees. What's their reaction? Whatever they can. But notice this, folks. Look at the facts. And there you have the facts staring them right in the face, and they still find a way to deny it. How many know the world's still that way today? Probably more, absolutely. All because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And these Pharisees say, now wait a minute. He's not doing it for the power of God. He's doing this by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. That's how he's doing this. Wow. What a story. What about healing today? I mentioned earlier what you see on television. Um, I would say 99.9% of it is is a hoax. And uh, that's a fact. Because I don't believe in faith healers. I believe in a God who heals. Now, in Matthew's, I'm not sorry, Matt, in James's epistle, he addresses the issue of healing. And uh, what, what goes on today is certainly not uh, what the Bible talks about. James says, if there's any sick among you, let him or her call for the elders of the church. Now, understand, that is a private setting. You're sick and you're at home. And James says, call for the elders of the church. What authority does James have? He's an apostle. He's also the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's getting this from God. And that word sick there could mean weary, weak, feeble, from any illness even to death. It could also be spiritual weakness. And so James says, let them call for the elders to come to them privately. Now, that's not what goes on today in these healing rallies. They're making a spectacle out of it. And that is not what God wants. Also, 
James says, Call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will raise them up. How much time I got left, Jason? Okay, I got to give you a condensed version this morning here, okay? Now, the word anoint, there's two Greek words for anoint. One means to anoint uh, like you're doing it for a religious religion, pour it on the head or whatever. Another means to dab. Okay? The word here is to dab. Like you're putting medicine on a wound. So James says, call for the elders. Do what the doctor tells you to take your medicine. Have the elders pray for you. And the prayer of faith will raise you up. Now, understand, that is the biblical context. That's exactly what it means. But we also have to understand, that is not a blanket statement. And every time somebody's called me to ask me to come and to anoint them, I will do that. But I only do it on one condition. That they realize there is no power in the oil. The oil has no significance. It's the medication. But I also want them to realize this is not a blanket promise. Because not everybody is going to be healed that way. And again, we have to come with faith. But also praying, Lord, if it is your will. If it is your will, bring healing. And the prayer of faith will raise him up. It's also interesting in James, in chapter 5 of James, the emphasis is not on the oil. It's on the prayer of faith or not on the medicine. Now, you remember uh, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. When they found him wounded, he did what? He went and dived those wounds with oil. It was used for medicine medicinal purposes. And that's exactly what James is talking about. That's what that word implies in the Greek, the the anointing there with the oil. So the question is, can God heal? Yes. Does God always heal according to what we want? No. Okay? So understand that, but God can heal. Now, any question about that? And if you've got a question, be sure to ask me, okay? And maybe I'll take a, a time later on and go through Matthew five, or James 5 and talk more in detail about what James is talking about there. But here's what I want you to understand. And here's what I struggle with in my own life. Whenever I'm praying for healing, and I pray for a lot of people, and you do too, on our prayers or whatever, I have to ask myself, do I really believe that he can do that? Do I believe, I can say that I do, I understand that, but do I really believe God can do it? And second of all, do I believe that God will do it? Now again, I know it's according to his will. In fact, the Bible says if we ask anything, how? According to his will. We know he hears us. So we have to pray in faith. We have to pray according to his will. But also, 
we have to be willing to accept whatever choice God makes and move on in our walk with Christ. Any comment or question about what we talked about this morning? So can God heal? Yes. And again, God can heal when he wants to. God can do miracles when he wants to. And Cheryl, you're right. If it's a miracle, it comes from who? It comes from God. Nobody else can do it. But here's the most important thing. For those of us who have been born again, Christ has met our greatest need already. We have been healed spiritually. And we are now new creatures in Jesus Christ. Did you ring a bell yet, Jason? Oh, okay. All right, next week, we're going to go to chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter, yeah, chapter 10. will be uh, And part of, uh, we'll cover that next week. So here's the thing. Jesus said to ask, seek, and knock. Right? And the verb tense in the Greek is keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. We can't give up. We must continue to pray in faith, believing that God can do anything according to his will. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today for your word. And Lord, we are blessed because we have seen through your word the miracles that you did. And God, through the eye of faith, they are real to us just as though we were standing there and saw you do those miracles. But God, I thank you today for the greatest miracle of all, the day you changed my life and you washed away my sins. And I pray, God, for anyone who's listening online, I pray they would realize the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. And we thank you, Lord, you've shown us the way. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.